OTB GAA. Through when Mike retired, I became the heaviest player in the dressing room, so I was often on Paul Gadden's back before we games. <laughs> Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Hurling on Off the Ball with Board Gosh Energy, proud sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship. And you're welcome back. John Duggan with you through to five. Now, we've got a new series in Off the Ball with thanks to Board Gosh Energy. In episode one, Sarah O'Donovan and Jamie Wall chatted about their GA stories. Here's a part of the conversation in which Jamie Wall discusses his difficult journey back to the GAA after becoming paralysed. I really have a choice. I know that sounds very flippant, like, but it's kind of true. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's. I'd always say, like, there was probably. And I got a lot of help from, we'll say, you know previous mindsets with teams and sport and that where it was kind of like you know you were just applying that notion of like you know when something is going wrong like how do you fix it I used to dig in and you know like you train harder and work harder and just you know kind of you know a time of big stress and stuff like that is not actually a time for introspection and reflection like it's a time for just getting through it and and then when you're in a little bit of a better place down the line you maybe can examine the complicated feelings over over years like and it's still like like, this six days time is the anniversary of it, like, you know. Nine like, years. Like, yeah. So, like, it's funny. Like, every year I end up doing something, not by design, I end up doing something on the anniversary. So, like, in 2016, I was in Lyon at Earl of France. And I didn't realise until I was actually there. I was one of those, and I was like, oh, Christ, this is the weekend of the thing. I just forgot about it because I was so busy trying to organise getting tickets. Like, and, driving the game the lads. and driving the lads from <laughs> Calais to Lyon like I'd totally forgotten about it you get better at kind of like just driving on through it and then like you know there's other times when now we'll say we're talking about it it's like you know you end up kind of analysing it and maybe thinking about it maybe tonight like you know sit down and there'll be a bit of a kind of like I said an introspection or a reflection and like you'll think about the positive things since and the negative things since and like but I think like you said like at the time you use the word survive like I think that's you just at the time you're just like it's like I need to survive here now and, and there's no time for getting upset because there'll be you know like if you get through it you dress your life for it like you know so like I, I don't know and like and like I said I hate saying it sometimes in the sense that I don't want it to sound flippant or that you know that it's like you just do it like you know like you just you just have to like you know that was Jimmy Wall in conversation with Sarah O'Donovan hurling on off the balls with Board Gosh Energy, proud sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship. Delighted to say we have with us in studio the ex Leitrim hurler and Board Gosh ambassador, Zach Moradi. Zach, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me, John. Good to see you. Uh, what did you make of Limerick last weekend? Something else? Four in a row? Ah, they're they're just um, they're just a brilliant team. They're um, they're physically big. They're very skillful. Um, I always say they'll bait you in a fight and they'll bait you in a hurling match as well. They can they can they can mix it up, um, and they're going to be very hard to stop in the next year or two because the team is very young. But at the same time, n- never write off Kilkenny and um, everyone. Last year they're oh, they're gone, they're gone. They keep coming back. Um, it should be a you know they're a county to lead by example. You know, small county, and they just never give up. They keep they keep they keep going. Who impressed you on the Limerick team? Um, I, you know what? I love Keen Lynch as a hurler. He just, just the way he plays the game. He, he seems to do the right thing all the time, and he doesn't seem to be. Looks like he moves slow, but you know he looks like a slow hurler. But when you're actually on the pitch watching them, 
different kettle of fish. Um, he's just just a brilliant hurler to watch. You know, the whole Limerick team are just even the subs that come on. They remind me a bit like the Dublin footballers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they have good subs coming on, they're right, yeah. even better. Even the subs that are coming on. Yeah. But um, yeah, they'd be hard to beat now. To be fair, in the next couple of years because they're young. But um, but never write off. You know. Teams like Cork or Tipperary, that, you know. Well, Munster's hard to get out of, isn't it? That's the issue for Limerick. Once they got out of it, they were able to get to Cork Park and then, but even getting out of Munster was almost the most difficult thing this year for them. As well, yeah, Munster's very hard to get out of it, but then I thought Clare were going to, you know, give a better performance against Kilkenny. Everybody yeah. says how great Clare were, but then I even talking to a few of my friends from Clare, I said, but Clare haven't played that much in Crow Park. Crow Park is a big pitch. Yeah, you know, you need a different type of fitness, different type of hurling for Crow Park. It's so big, um, and like Limerick, Kilkenny, Dublin, they're all used to Crow Park. Did you so win the Laurie Mar at Crow Park? We did, yeah. yeah and I remember Leitrim. even 2017, we played there. Um, and Warwickshire were a fitter team, and they were better than us. But it was just completely different. We were shocked how big it was, because you're not used to the. It's just a different atmosphere, and the pitch is huge compared. I don't know. It just looks huge, maybe. You play on probably smaller pitches, and but um, different to Cork and Shannon. I think it's just different to everywhere. It's just different. It's just um, you know you need to get used to it. You know it's like a club level. Everybody wants to get a home game at club level, and they're so used to it. They always people clubs always have more chances to win a home game. Same with inter county games. Yeah, but Crow Park is now nearly like for Limerick, Kilkenny, Dublin. You know, Dublin. Fo- it's nearly a home game for them. That's interesting because Mihal Dunne, who deliberately wanted the Dubs to go into Croke Park this summer rather than Parnell Park. Yeah. And maybe in the next couple of years that'll benefit Dublin because they're probably very well against Galway in the championship. And yeah, that, that's yeah. definitely a good point. Um, for listeners who don't know, Zach, you're from Kurdistan. You came to Ireland as a refugee from Iraq 21 years ago. You spoke to Joe Malloy on the, on the programme before. Uh, with no English. You ended winning the Laurie Mar, as we said there, with Leitrim. Um, you're now with Dublin, your coach and Thomas Davis in Tala. You've written a book, Life Begins in Leitrim, which came out last year. I suppose this journey is not something you would have imagined when you were small. No, it was, <laughs> um, I wasn't sure. I'd, I didn't know where I was going um, till I arrived in Ireland. Um, obviously, my parents went through a lot of hardship, you know, nearly eight, eight years of war nonstop over, you know, over probably two million people died in that war. Uh, uh, the Iran-Iraq war the Iran-Iraq war that went on for 8 years and then I was born in the, the Gulf War in 1991 the night I was born um, NATO and the Americans were bombing Iraq for for 48 days 48 nights and my parents used to sleep out there for that 40 days it was too dangerous to stay in their in their homes um, survived that and then obviously we were coming we came you know, 2002 Ireland, nearly a couple of months later, 2003, then the invasion happened in, in so they, were, they would have nearly probably got, got caught, caught up in another war. Um, but thank, thankfully, um, we we're one of the survivors that got out in time. Um, and many other people actually uh, from that camp ended up in a, in a refugee camp uh, in, in tents in uh, between the, what's called the no man's land between Iraq and Jordan. So, some of them spent about four years there and they all got relocated all around Europe. Um, so thankfully everybody got out. Um, you just don't know where you end up. You just don't know what comes to your doorstep. It's similar to the to Ukrainians. All of a sudden, 
there's 20, 20 million Ukrainian or probably 30 million Ukrainians refugees all around the world now. Uh, that's what war does. You just don't know. How welcoming were the people of Ireland to you? They were very welcoming people. I always find that Irish people are very welcoming people. I know um, the country is cold, but the people are warm. <laughs> um, and they're, um, I think the Irish people understand the, the history, their own history as well. You know, if you go back about the famine and even about 100 years ago, about immigration and, you know, obviously being the... Same with when Irish people were leaving, obviously probably they were leaving for jobs and to, to live in a better life. And so, you know, but refugees are probably a little bit more different. They're, they're, um, they're forced to flee. Um, it's not like um, they decide, oh, we'll just leave and go get a job in another country. It doesn't work that way in the Middle East. Um, it's very hard to leave your own country in the Middle East. I say if you, if you got caught trying to leave your own country, you'd, 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 be, you'd be put in prison for about six months. I know a lot of people might think it's just people just are leaving their own country. It's not that easy, you know. Obviously, uh, there's over, I think there's about 100 million people um, that are refugees around this world because of war and prosecution. And when people knock on your door, you know, to look for help, you have to help them. Um, it's like Ireland, go back to, you know, probably a couple of hundred or 100, 100 200 years ago when the Oman Empire, they helped the Irish people as well. The Oman Empire wasn't just the Turkish people, it was Arabs, Kurds, we were all part of that Oman Empire. Um, so if what goes around, it comes around, you know. Um, it's um, Even I was in Kurdistan there, the, um, we were uh, in, in Kurdistan of Iraq there about about uh, two months ago and I visited a refugee camp where my parents were actually there, it was called Arbat Refugee Camp. My parents were actually refugee in that camp 40 years ago. And now that camp is still there. And I ended up talking to people and they were from the... I used to live in Ramadi. I was born in Ramadi in a refugee camp. And that camp I visited, there was a lot of Syrian Arabs and Syrian Kurds that were refugees, but including Arabs from Ramadi. There were refugees in that camp, what surprised me. And these people, these uh, Arabs from Ramadi, they all lived like kings back in where we were in a refugee camp. They, uh, they lived in big houses, big cars, but now all of a sudden when I was looking at them, they had nothing, you know. So I was just showing, you know, we were, I was like them. And I remember even people say, you know, we were in Iraq, obviously we were in a dictatorship country, but... Um, Saddam Hussein, yeah. Saddam Hussein. And sometimes you see people, that, you know, someone like Donald Trump is saying, oh, we should have left Saddam Hussein in power. But Saddam used to kill people behind the scenes you would have never heard of. He killed... You know, 186,000 Kurdish people have been missing between 1980 to 8086. It's called the Anfal campaign. Yes. And these people are still, some of them are buried alive and never seen again. And never, and even including, um, I, you know, people are giving out about, you know, some lad from Iraq born the Quran in Sweden. Saddam Hussein burned down 4,500 mosques and 4,500 villages in Kurdistan of Iraq. And he must have burned about 20,000 Quran with all them mosques that was full of Quran. Yeah, okay. And we didn't see any uproar around the world, you know. Sure. And that's kind of annoys me, you know. Uh, so you're moving to Leitrim. It's a completely different world, a new life for you. How soon before you pick up a hurl? Um, yeah, so I was 11 when I started in primary school. I was in fifth class, I think it was the time. Yeah, I was in fifth class. Start, you know, obviously, I didn't even know what a hurl was. Um, it was just something different. I used, I, used, I used to be used to playing other sports, but hurling was just different and I picked up the Gaelic very quick enough now, to be fair. Um, 
But um, the hurling was just it was just difficult to pick up. I think it's like majority of kids now even have done coaching in Thomas Davis GA Club at the kindergarten, you know, over the years and coaching kids teams. And I always noticed when you're trying to coach kids Gaelic or hurling, they always find the hurling a lot more difficult. If you need to be more patient and put in a lot more work if you want to be a be a hurler. But um, it was a challenge for me, and I just kind of the more I got into the hurling, the, the more I fell in love with the game. And and I just I just love hurling. Um, I love Gaelic as well, but hurling is just I enjoy watching more hurling, and I think hurling is just a more enjoyable game to play you know even have a lot a lot of friends that play football and they always say hurling is just it's just a different game being part of a team being part of uh, a group of lads uh, as a teenager then did that help with the challenges you would have had obviously around language about integrating about just being in a completely new place well i say i came over diversity and because of ga because of hurling um all the lads i started playing hurling with when i was younger from Leitrim or football from Leitrim I'm still friends with these lads I still see them I'll go to their weddings I would you know I'll still see them now and again I'll meet them for points um, and same with lads I've grown up in Thomas Davis GA Club it's just uh, the GA is like a you know it's like a big com- it's like a big massive family I know what's called big community but it's a big family everybody knows each other and everybody looks out for each other you know whether it's jobs you know it's um, and that's what amazes me about the sport and and that's why it's the it's one of the best sport in the world, you know. Um, You're giving back a coach what under 14s now. I'm with the under 14s now, yeah, yeah. On the skills of the game, and you uh, you going you playing league matches, so you yeah, around Dublin. Well, I've, yeah, we play you know games in hurling. Uh, you know, obviously we play against other clubs, and we're just looking Thomas Davis and Tala. We're just trying to get more kids playing involved playing GAA. Um, Is it mainly a soccer catchment area? Shamrock Rovers are next door, so yeah. but we still have over, we have over ninety six teams in in Thomas Davis. Um, we don't have a. I know sometimes people say we're in Tala. We have a big patch around us. We actually don't. We work off three primary schools beside us, and because up the road we have Saint Anne's and then Ballyboden across the road, and you have Jews, then you have Caelan, Kevin's, you know, and you have Vans. But we we're probably one of the better clubs in Tala that have you know a lot of hard work goes in. And when the lads was only in the club, the cheap club GPO were saying that if we had to pay all the coaches in the club, the the, uh, the amount of volunteer hour hour they put in in the club coaching kids team and all that, if we had to pay them all minimum wage, it would cost one point two million a year. Yeah, you know it just shows the volunteer ethic and the, the volunteer ethic, and I'm sure that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, and our pitch is hard to get access to at times. It is. Um, we could, you know, you know, we're thankful to the South Dublin County Council for um, supporting, obviously, the grants we get. But um, we still have a pitch line there. In, uh, you know, our Astro needs, you know, about three hundred thousand euro to do the to do the Astro up again because it's due uh, a renovation um, in the new surface, and then we have a new pitch. Then it's going to cost about seven hundred grand to do it. So we could do with more funding. You know, we don't. And sometimes I know people say it's not all about money, but sometimes money can fix a lot of problems. It can, you know, you know, we're a volunteer organization and the club is for the community. It's for everybody. When you go up on a Saturday morning, you have three or four hundred kids up there in the kindergarten. But if we could do with more funding from Sports Ireland or the government, in the end of the day, them pitches, I don't own it. It's, it's for everybody. 
you touched upon Ukraine there and the refugees from that war-torn country that have come to Ireland, Zach. And there might be a family with children listening to this program right now and making the best of a new life. Uh, what advice would you offer these people if they wanted to integrate with their new community and maybe get involved in a local GA club? Um, like I say um, it's up to the depends where they live and it's up to the community to help them. And obviously when they start in primary schools or secondary school, it's up to it's up to their of the GA coaches in the school to get them involved and bring them up and let them try a new sport and take it from there. And that's the way I was. I was given a chance and I was given a chance and I fell in love with the game and I'm still still playing. I used to play soccer and all that, no interest. Um I, I noticed the big difference between GA and soccer. GA is for everybody. It doesn't matter if, if you're a good player or a bad player or you're weak or you're strong. It's for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're not even able to strike a ball. In the GA, they'll always find you. They'll always, they'll, you'll always get a game. You know, there's always a game for you. They'll always give you a game. You know, that's why I remember when I was playing soccer. Um, I remember there was lads standing on the sideline and would never even get a look at Maybe in. that's because of the, ultimately the professional pathway of soccer versus the amateur pathway of Gaelic games. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Uh, and maybe that's why there's more people playing GA and that's why it's the number one sport in this country. And 21 years ago, you're, you're here now and Leitrim and then Dublin, Zach. Do you feel Ireland is as welcoming in 2023 from the observations you've had than it was when you arrived? I think I think it's still the same. Um, I think it's just, my opinion is probably still the same. I think it's just now it's a little bit harder now to get access to obviously you know price of rent and you know I know people are just you know people are giving out they need we need more homes built and more apartments we need we need more places because the population of the country has grown and sometimes you might get small tiny minority blaming blaming obviously refugees or immigrants coming in here it's, I mean we're always being short of a house the housing crisis in this country last I don't know how many years but um, yeah, we just need to, you know, build more homes in this country. And I think we'll sort a lot of things out. And once people have a place to live, you know, everything will be sorted. Have you seen many new kids picking up a hurl in Tala? Oh, there it is. Every, every year we get new kids, um, you know, from obviously, I, I've noticed in, the, in, in, in Dublin, GA, I've noticed every club have one or two from different nationalities playing the sport, which is, which is great, you know. And... Uh, and it's you know the face of GA is changing. It's going to take a bit of time. Um, they might not be playing inter-county hurling or football, but there's a lot playing. There's a lot of them playing in in, in, in club level in hurling and football. And same with soccer. Do you see it's the the face of the soccer or rugby in Ireland's changing, and the face of the GA is going to change as well. Um, in terms of Leitrim, where was your position mainly? Were you a back? Were you a forward? Were you midfield? What, what, what was your favourite position? Um, favourite I was midfield mm. Mm. and the game has changed even maybe when you were playing Laurie Marr in the last few years that it's now become more of a systems game as opposed to a game which is about getting the ball the slitter as far as you could down the pitch and then working it out from there yeah the game has changed and and I was only talking to one of the lads up the club and I was like I remember um, whereas hurling a football in Dublin even they used to pick best players you know they used to send out two lads for a trial, you know. Um, it, it doesn't work that way anymore. I think um, the game has changed. They don't pick best players anymore. They don't go that way anymore. I think they're... Um, like even... Um, 
I noticed when you sent five or six lads for just say under 16 Dublin trial that doesn't mean they always pick the best player they always pick a fella oh he looks like a corner back he seems very quiet he's disciplined they go for fellas like that they pick players maybe to fit the system to fit the system to yeah flare players yeah so they pick players to fit the system obviously they don't pick best players anymore and I've, I've noticed that with even with Dublin Hur- Dublin Dublin Hurling as well the last couple of years they don't pick best players anymore they pick players oh he's a corner back or oh, he's a full back you know maybe that's the whole system has changed that way Can you see a place where Dublin Hurling gets back to where it maybe was 10 years ago won a Leinster title won a club with Kula 5 years ago are you seeing signs of that at all? I think um, one of the things in Dublin Dublin Hurling is when I get out to the country down to tip and down the country watch Hurling matches um, even at uh, club level games they seem the referees down the countryside they let the game flow the whistle is not blown much as in Dublin it's stop and start I was watching um, even our club were playing the senior be hurling championship against Bally Bowden there the run up the club and I was just there watching I said you know what I'll time it for, you know and the game the game did not flow for more than 30 seconds and I say there was about 30 frees but out of 30 frees I say it was probably 4 frees in the whole game it just um, I don't know like there is good hur- there is good hurling uh, we have s- 6 or 7 Great, hur- uh, great uh, hurling referees in Dublin like Sean Stack, Chris Mooney, and them, and now they're refereeing inter county games. Um, but um, I think we need more kind of letting the g- even a juvenile section. We were playing a hurling match under 14 there about a month ago, and we're playing, I don't know, we're playing, uh, I think it was, was it Bray Emmett's, I think it was, we're playing a, a league match. Like, I think we won by about 13, 16, 17 points. But I still wasn't, I was kind of, I was not happy. I was like, because the game didn't flow. Because I was saying, if some of these lads go out trial with Dublin, go, go t- get onto the Dublin team hurling, just say under 14 or 15, then they're going out to play against Kilkenny. The lads in Kilkenny, the referee is the referee, the game just flows. You know, there's no, you know, a little stupid tap. It's not free. You know, it's just no, no one gets killed, no one gets hurt. Um, sometimes if you go by the rules, if you go by every single rule, little tap, little free, free, the game just, you won't enjoy playing it, you won't enjoy watching it. I think that's the difference and then when these lads are playing on Dublin under 16 hurling team or minor and the next thing they're going down to Limerick and they'd be hard you'd be tough you know they lay into them because they're afraid to do a tackle because they think it's going to be a free I think we need more kind of in Dublin I think it's with with, uh, with hurling I'm not criticising the referees but I'm just I think they could do letting the game flow a bit, a bit more okay. at, at club level or underage at senior because down the whole country and you're down in Limerick and Tip yeah. and Cork and them Kilkenny and all that the game just flows I get down they've may split play club level and all down in Wexford it's just a different and I think in du- Dublin Hurling that's what we need and I think it's similar with the our Dublin senior hurling teams I say you know the referees even at senior level they need to let the game flow um, okay you know there's I was watching Vincent Bally Bowden there's a lot of frees you know and you could yeah. say they could let the game flow a bit more a bit more, yeah. Life Begins in Leitrim from Curtis Dan to Cook Park was your book you brought out last year, Zach. And your personal story is obviously something you've touched upon here with me. Um, but also Leitrim, the journey of uh, the so-called weaker counties, that's important to tell as well, isn't it? Because they don't get a look in sometimes. Yeah, and sometimes, um, you know, sometimes we always show um, Division 1 games and 2s. I think there's no harm, like RT like or, you know, Tina team. Show a Division 3 beer hurling match. You know, show Sligo and Leitrim. You know, they might, you mightn't get 5,000 people. You might get 200. 
But it's the best way to promote the game in that, in that county, you know. And it's not all about, you know, I don't know, is it about funding, making money? But um, I think we need to show if, uh, a lot more games um, at the weaker counties if we want to promote. It's a national sport as well, so, you know, they need to, you know, one game a year is not going, even two games a year at that level, you know. There's no point, you know, when, you know, like even Monaghan and Lancashire, you know, getting... 15 second on the Sunday games you know and the next thing is just yeah it's always a resources up. thing isn't it yeah yeah. Um, so what's next for you now Zach you, you say you're to be doing a movie and you know what's 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 the plan now for you going forward um, just keep coaching and just keep coaching just keep going with the flow yeah I'm looking forward to the tomorrow's match yeah so, um, you'll be in the Dublin corner you know a lot of people are saying who are you supporting for I was like you know what I said I play with the Dublin development squad on the 14, 15, 16. I said, I've worn the Dublin jersey before, underage, so I'm a big Dublin supporter, you know, but um, obviously I want Dublin to win. Yeah, it's interesting because I thought you were wearing a Leitrim top when he came in, but it's actually Thomas Davis, the same kind of colours as Leitrim. Yeah, uh, I support I Thomas Davis, Leitrim, and then Dublin. Yeah. But um, I'm here most of my life in, in Dublin, so. Well, Zach, whatever's immediately ahead, we wish you the best luck with it. Thanks for coming in. Borgosh Energy Master Zach Moradi. And the book is called Life Begins in Leitrim from Kurdistan to Croke Park. You enjoyed doing it? I did, yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was great. It took a bit of time, but I enjoyed got, every bit You got there it. in the end. Thanks so much, Zach. We're going to hear from the lads who are on the football pod on Thursday on Off the Ball here after this.